and welcome to Cinephiles Radio. I'm your host, Steve Pisa. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today we have the great Jeff Wolf. We don't have an amazing amount of time with him, but we're going to try to get as much information as we can out of him. Stunt choreographer, stunt performer, actor, he's done it all. Can't wait to talk to him today. How's everybody been doing? You guys been doing well? Under lockdown? Now, I see lockdown is is starting to uh, have a reprieve. We're starting to open up a lot of states. California not being excluded. How do you feel about that? Give us a call. 515-602-9609. I want to hear from you. How do you feel about that? I would say it's a tough couple months, but I can easily say I can be part of the space program and and be be completely happy. I had zero problems being uh, encapsulated in my home and having nothing to worry about. For Jeff to get online, just like a lot of people, he's having, having a little uh, technical issues, but we'll get him. We'll get him on here pretty soon. So, what have you been watching? What books have you been reading? <laughs> books have you been reading? That's a joke, right? What books have you been reading? Have you been reading any books? Or just watching movies. If you've been reading, uh, watching movies, what movies have you been watching? Having a couple, couple issues getting online here. Um, 
experience Chris we have like you know on here for eight seasons we've had hundreds of guests on and uh, sometimes we have problems you know it just happens here we go let's see Oh my God, it's a miracle we got him on. <laughs> so anyways, give us a call. 515-602-9609. Let us know how you're doing. Let us know what movie you're watching. And, and God bless you. What book you're reading. And I'm sorry if I doubt you. But what book are you reading? For me, it's Photographing Fairies. It's one of my favorite books in the entire planet Earth. He wrote one book. And that was it for him. That was it for him. So we have the great Jeff Wolf on today. We can't wait to speak to him today. Let's, let's bring him on here with a nice clap track. I love that clap track. Keep it coming. <laughs> Jeff Wolf, how how are you doing, my friend? Um. Wow. Yeah, that's the question of the day or the month or the. It's been sixty days of uh, like everybody else, of course. Pretty much. Well, you know, know people, the time. Before we get started, let me ask you a serious question. How are you, your your wonderful wife, and your children doing right now? I mean, thank you. Everybody's doing really, really well, to be honest. I mean, we're super, I hate to use the hashtag blessed thing, but the reality is, is I yeah. mean, I've been on shows where I've been in a one-bedroom apartment or a studio apartment on things in, in crazy places in the world, and to be home in Los Angeles, in our, our house that we've, you know, worked many years to, to accumulate stuff. And, you know, being in this kind of place and having a pool in the backyard and having the life that we have in here, it could be a hell of a lot worse, which it is for a lot of people. And because we're right. not on the front lines, we don't have to go out every single day and, and, and worry about that kind of thing. We can kind of tone it down as we have. So, I mean, we feel really good and blessed for where we're at. I mean, but we're, we're um, you know, one of very few who are like this. Hey, you have a blessed life. I, I I watch you guys on Instagram and on Facebook. You know, I'm I'm very happy for you and your your kids and your wife and how you guys are handling it and, and, and making fun and jokes and being humorous about um, you know <laughs> being incubated by this entire resource right here. Uh, but it looks like you guys are having a great time and you guys have a great sense of humor. Thanks. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously being able to laugh at stuff is in, is key and important and then also being able to do it respectfully. So the reality is, you know, I think we try to get across it. We're all aware it's a serious issue. We are all, you know, trying to, to do our part in taking care of other people that can't do their part or that, that are maybe more susceptible. So we're trying to temper that with raising a 9- and 11-year-old and trying to, you know, have them have a happy right. life and something that none of us have ever actually walked through. So, you know, the right. idea is 
hey, guys, we got to do this differently, and we're, gonna, we're also going to figure out, you know, it's serious, but we're also going to figure out a fun way to do it. And thankfully, there have been organizations and things that have helped with that. Like the boys right now are doing uh, XMA with Mike Chatteradabut, who's a, who's, who was a Power Ranger. And Mike has put this sure. XMA thing on every day, this challenge thing, that uh, the boys are on, you know, Facebook every day at 3.30 for a half an hour. And it's great because they get a workout, they get a challenge, they're in a competition. And it's just something, things like that, that can, can take your mind off you're at home every single day. Tell me more about that. You know, what is that like? You know, you're, you're, you're going through challenges, you know, every single day, as we all are, you're taking care of young children that it's very difficult to educate them. I mean, as we all know, it's very difficult to educate young people. And you have this great XMA thing going on here. What, what is that like? Well, I tell you, man, I, I, I got a GED. Let me let me just be straight up. I graduated <laughs> at 16. I got emancipated. I went to yeah. acting school, the Actors Theater of San Francisco, for two years. Yeah. That's my only college accreditation. So so the funny part of teaching the 11-year-old, the 9-year-old is a little different. You have to be on them all the time, but the, the work is the work. The 11-year-old right. actually is getting into some, some work where you're like, this is the stuff that I forgot, I gladly forgot. And now right. I have to actually remember and look like I know what I'm doing. All I can say is thank God for Alexa. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's an interesting deal because uh, obviously, you know, right. I want to get back to shooting films. I want to get back to working. I have, I will get into that, but I have a few projects uh, on the cusp of, of blowing up and happening to, to start, uh, you know, first year directing. And uh, one of those has come back uh, from a few rewrites that I've been working on myself. So I've, I've right. turned into a, a writer, at least a script polisher, uh, in this downtime sitting at home. But I'm also cleaning a, a house and, and cooking for the kids, you know, sharing that with my wife. So she can right. do some work too. And um, and a school teacher from you know nine to three uh, Monday through Friday making hats. What does your What does so, your wife do? What does your wife do? Perfect. I, I follow her yeah, on Instagram. What does your wife wife do? She Jennifer Wolf is a Jennifer Wolf She's a life coach. She is a yes. um, uh, She has a master's in psychology. She's a ama- um, She's amazing. She's an amazing I mean, human yeah, being, by the way. She's like she's like the 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 opposite of the you know you got the the dark and the light. She's the UCLA grad and the master's degree and the author and the podcast and the you know like her, her whole thing is yeah uh, it's helping people and life coaching people and getting people her her catchphrase is basically finding your true face um, right and, and it's true facing which is basically you know uh, it's like it's kind of the idea that we all love the matrix and if you you know, if you don't plug into the matrix and you actually see what's going on, and, and furthermore, I guess if you kind of see who you are beneath all the, the voices and all the things that we put out there, that's kind of her thing. And if you get to the bottom line with that, it can open up to uh, what you're supposed to be doing, you know, that what, what actually brings you joy, what makes you happy. That's that's her, right. her mission. So it's pretty cool to watch that get, you know, into the kids at such a young age without all the crap that we had put on us, you know, to find that later. Well, she seems like an incredible mother, you know, and you seem like an incredible father. The way I see you guys handle uh, your family and jokingly making videos and having fun and uh, not making light of, but just making light of life and making fun of where you're at is very encouraging for a lot of people. 
Oh, thanks, man. I mean, that's, that's, that is the idea behind it. And I think that uh, most of the time we're just really laughing at ourselves and what we discover in these, in these times. And that's, you know, and, and that's all, that's what I find funny. It's kind of the same thing as horror. It's like, what is the real part of it is the, the funny part. Just like in horror movies, the things that scare me are actually the things that could happen or that you feel like could happen as opposed to, you know, some crazy whatever kind of thing. So that's, that's kind of all around what the message is. I think it's an important, I think, again, respectfully you get across that, yeah, we're all aware of their casualties and, their, and, and this is a horrible thing and we've never been through it. But when we can laugh at ourselves and be together doing it. And you know what? It's also a great thing that it's a great yeah show and a reminder in the relationship that, that after 14 years of being married, we can still laugh at each other and have fun. That's nice to see. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Where, where, where did you guys meet? I'm sorry, where did we meet? We, where did you and your wife meet? Yeah, we actually, I was working on a uh, a, a movie called Zathura for John Favreau. I was playing the yeah. Zorgon, which was their score, yeah. that had, had Zorgon things. Great and, movie. Uh, you end up yeah, it was fun. You end up talking to people on set 14 hours a day because you're sitting around, which that could change now. But, um, yeah, you sit around, and we ended up talking to this guy, and, and he had a friend who knew her uh, that she actually sang, because I sing and play and, and do music. She sang in a, in a church thing, and he wanted to take me to this thing, and it was like a non-denominational, really cool, like not religious, blah, blah, blah thing. And and I'm right. like, man, I'm not really the church guy to go, you know, vote well. Like, I, I'm, right. I, I jokingly, I jokingly call myself a recovering Catholic because I'm a Roman, I'm Italian, and you know, family. <laughs> I understand what you're saying. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're 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 a, you're a um, cafeteria Catholic. Yes, yeah. So I, so you know, but, and I, you know, obviously we're not going to get into that. I very much believe in God, and, and there's got to be more than me. Yes. Because if not, we're all screwed. But, right. uh, you know, the, the specific religions that I feel like govern people in specific ways is not where it's at for me. Anyway, long right. story short, I went to this thing uh, and ended up meeting her and became friends with some mutual friends. And we um, we just we both at the time were engaged, actually. Um, and we both, without knowing that each other had gotten out of the engagement, we both got out of the engagement. We found out that our birthdays were a day apart. She's quite younger than I am, but our wow. kids uh, threw a birthday party for the two of us together. And that ended up, you know, <laughs> being the start of the whole thing. Just crazy. That's wonderful. That's a wonderful story. You and I have been, you and I have known each other for a very long time. You've been on my radio show about eight, eight to nine years ago. Uh, yeah. You know, the interesting thing is that you're not L.A. born. You're you're from San Francisco, aren't you? Yes, that's correct. No, no. San Francisco is known for plays and opera, and for a, a lot of uh, you know, opposite music and what have you. It's not known for movies. What was it? What was it like being part of that atmosphere and propelling yourself into? you know, acting, which, which is what you started with. Right. Well, yeah. So what had happened up there was I, I, uh, I was a singer. I, like I said, I, I got a GED and, and emancipated at 16, had a crazy childhood and, uh, and moved in with my band. Basically we, we all rented a house in the Bay area and we played uh, gigs up in San Francisco Bay area for a couple of years. And then while I was doing that, I had done martial arts since I was, you know, 12 or 13. So I continued with that. 
And um, and the band thing was just getting everybody else had a job. Some of them actually, you know, lived with their parents and the whole thing. Some, you know, a few of us lived together in a house. So when it came time to kind of let's go to L.A. and let's make this happen, a few of them kind of hemmed and hawed like, like, oh, I've got, you know, school, I've got this, I've got that. And I right. recognized that, that we weren't going to all go together and get this done as much as I wanted to do it. So right. uh, after finishing the Actors Theater up there in San Francisco and having that martial arts under my belt, I came to L.A. myself sure. just figuring, uh, you know, I could give it a shot. And I started training at some different martial arts studios, and that's the, the that first gig happened. Basically, was I think my first big kind of break was Bloodsport Two, just going to that's right Theo's studio and 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 auditioning and and uh, next thing I knew I was in Thailand for six weeks and you know that was <laughs> for somebody who'd never been out of the out of the states really to be you know suddenly in Thailand for six weeks doing a movie playing a character also it was crazy so it was you know it was right. like oh okay this could do it. Now, now, let me ask you a question. Let's go back a little bit. Well, what was the reason for the emancipation for for you being out of there at 16 years old? What what, uh, what, what happened crazy, there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I think my I appreciate you saying that I'm a good dad. I think sometimes we try to it's like a pendulum swing in the other direction. We try to overcome or overcompensate for what we didn't have, and I pray that right. we do that. I, my my father left when I was three. Everybody's got you know their own stories, their own hardship. But I, I went through two or three um, uh, kind of abusive stepfather, drug dealer, motorcycle gangs that will be that will go unnamed. But get out of here! Just some crazy outlaw biker kind of that kind of stuff, and and not not fun. Have you ever seen the movie Mask? Have you seen the movie Mask? I mean that that sounds a lot like the movie Mask. If you take that movie and you take there's a Leonardo DiCaprio one of his first movies called This Boy's Life. Yeah. Uh, 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 that was one of my favorite movies because that it's, it's a great movie. De Niro, who is, yeah, that De Niro's uh, uh, plays the dad in it. De Niro is one yeah. of my stepfathers. A crazed he, father. He, he, he yeah. Is just an ass. So yeah. So basically, that was my childhood, and and I, uh, wow. I ended up getting hit. In a in a rehab hospital at 13 by a probation officer, you know he literally was like, "I'm just doing this to keep you out of this house for three months." Hold, hold, yeah, hold on, you were you were in a rehab hospital at 13 years old? What, yeah, I what, got, what I the hell? From, <laughs> I was running away from this abusive uh, home, and I ended up spending the night at a friend's house and drinking their alcohol that their next door neighbor was watching the next door neighbor's house, and I so I sure. drank a little too much, and they uh, they found me there. So I ended up getting uh, in trouble for that. And what this probation officer did was he, he put me into rehab at Peninsula Hospital in the Bay Area. And uh, he made me go to jiu-jitsu four times a week till I turned 18 as part of my probation. So ah. um, it was a black belt in Don Zander in jiu-jitsu, and that's where I got my start in martial arts. Well, let's get straight into the martial art part here. Like, What was your martial art experience like? And obviously we know why you got into the martial arts. So you, what was your martial art experience like? Well, so I was getting into a lot of fights and obviously a lot of trouble when you grow up in that kind of environment. You tend to, you know, act out physically as well. So, I mean, are we, are we talking about fights like where you're yelling at people? Or are we talking about fights where somebody's nose is, is being bent a little bit? Yeah, a lot of the nose being bent, a lot of that stuff. There was a lot of altercations at home and that kind of stuff. There was a lot of physical abuse. And so that, you know, led into running away and led into thinking that I was tougher than I needed to be because when you're 12 to 15 years old, you try to make yourself 
you know, raise yourself to the level that you need to survive. It's all survival at that point. Um, sure. So when you're doing those things, uh, and then you go into probation, and then you go into jiu-jitsu class with people who know what they're doing, um, you get a, a rude awakening, or at least I did. And it was like, oh, shit, I can actually learn something from this. So right. um, that, that was, you know, that turned into four times a week of, um, of training there in San Carlos, California, under a guy named Professor Musselman, real name, Professor James Musselman. Um, yes. And he just went to the mat with me. I mean, just, be, you know, like, but but it worked. I mean, it obviously not only gave me some discipline and some self-control, it also uh, it also gave me the, the start of my career because that led to stretching and kicking and all the other things that I ended up doing. Then when I moved to L.A., having that background, I ended up sleeping on a martial arts studio floor at Young Yu's um, studio in, in North Oh, Young Yu, yeah. Yeah. And so I, in exchange for teaching some of the people there, um, the jiu-jitsu, the danzan that I had learned, I, I got uh, instruction in taekwondo from them, which gave me my uh, movie kicks, basically. You know, that was very kind of him, you know. I, that's very much like martial art masters. And so, uh, so what happened after that? So you're, you're, you're in L.A., you're, you're teaching guys uh, BJJ or, or, or jiu-jitsu and what have you. Uh, what, what turned what what turned your curve for you? Well, what happened? I, I went from the Taekwondo, then I started teaching for Keith Cook, Keith Hirabayashi, um Yeah, in uh, in Brentwood, and, uh, and Keith's great. I mean, you know, longtime martial artist and actor as well. Great guy. Yeah, um, yeah. And in doing a few different movies and a few little things here and there, but I, you know, I was basically his head wushu instructor at Champions. Um, and this was probably late, late nineties, uh, almost 2000 and, uh, or actually 2000 probably. Um, and where it really took off was the Scorpion King, the first big movie as far as stunt. Right. I, I was, I was here and there acting, I was doing TV shows and, you know, kind of making a living, but doing that and doing martial arts teaching as well. When the Scorpion King came along, it turned into a nine month job, you know, doubling, uh, Stephen Brand who played Memnon, the bad guy in the movie. So I did all the swords, all the fire swords, all that stuff. And um, that's what basically really made, you know, started the career off, took off to the level of this is, you know, this is my job in the career path because I right. couldn't be away from the students for that long and then come back and try to pick up where we left off. It was just not fair to the students. So, it was really so, 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 so your, your desperation really set upon your path. Yeah, I think that's true, too. It's funny. I, I talked to, I don't want to say mentor, but I get the chance to talk to certain people or kids or classes or different things, and I think one of the things that stands out to me is the idea of attrition, of not giving up. I think that right. when somebody says, I'm going to go to L.A. and give it a shot for five years, you're giving yourself a date that you're going to fail by. I think that, right. I think that if you say, if you tell yourself, I want to be an actor, the best actor in the world, I want to become a cruise. Or, or there's the other person that says, I'm going to just be an actor. That's what I do. And if, I, right. if I'm if i in Impossible 18 or if I'm in Santa Monica Theater Company on whatever, you know what I mean, you're still doing that, that's the person that's going to succeed at it. So I think what happened to me is that when I recognized that acting and just film and TV in general, you know, acting, directing, stunts, all, the, all those areas, and music are the things that, back to True Face, back to my wife's idea, those are the, my tricks. Those are the things that, like, creating the creative to me is what makes me happy. That's what gives me joy. So when you find that, then you kind of set your sights and you focus into that. That's what you, that's what I have to do. So. 
Well, you do, you've done both. You've done stunt performing and you've done acting. Which, which is the one that you want to do first? I actually started, I, I like to say, I started as an actor, uh, um, you know, that I like to eat. And so um, <laughs> when, uh, when stunts came along, it was like, wow, you could make this much money and this, you know, kind of thing. And and so I, I was very blessed because I had that martial arts background. So I learned and I got mentored by some other stunt people in other areas of fire and driving and different things. And, uh, and, 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 I, and doing all those things together, then I found out a huge secret, which was the stunt people that I knew, especially then, less of these days, there's more people that act. But then they didn't like right. So, So, you know, being 6'4 and 200 pounds, I wasn't going to double every Tom, Dick, and Harry because a lot of actors aren't that tall or big. No but way. Find, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but what, what I did find was that the, the bad guys are or the thugs are. So if you can act, and, I, and sometimes it includes dialogue, but sometimes it just includes being believable as that bad guy or whatever it is. If you can right. act or say the dialogue or do the words, you are now in the 90th percentile of stunt people as far as those parts go. So right. that's what really made probably that 2000 to 2010 era of my career. Um, there was a lot of movies in there with a lot of parts that you know that, that were fun and great to do and. It was a great career just because of that, just because of having that, that connection of acting and action. Right. I want to talk a little bit about Green Lantern because, you know, even though it was not a very good film and it is smashed continually, the, the, the director is a brilliant director. A brilliant – Edward Edward is a brilliant director. He's an Excellent films before. What was it like working on on that one? Before we talk about the Avengers, what was it like working on that set? Sure. I mean, look, Martin was a, he's a great director. I think that the I think the movie overall, the only thing that it really suffered from, which was the entire movie, was you've got CG bad guys and bad CG. Right. There, really. I mean, I think right. like if you had a real legitimate bad guy and you cared about it more, because think about you had. Ryan, Ryan, who's great and obviously a great actor and funny and, and wonderful as Deadpool. And he's fantastic, he yeah. I mean, you've got, you had Taika Waititi, who's now directing the next Star Wars. I mean, like, oh, you, know, oh, you know, Taika Waititi, got, do you ever see that thing with Taika Waititi and, and, and him talking about how they never met before? And they were joking yeah. about how they're in the same yeah. film. <laughs> that was the most hilarious thing I've ever seen in my life. Because that was the first yeah. time I've ever seen Taika Waititi was in Green Lantern. Right. And I had just been in two the first time he had just finished his first short film. And he was getting all these you know, acclaim. And he was a great guy. I mean, we had a great time on that movie other than one specific injury I suffered on that movie. But other than that, yeah. which you can see in the film. Um, other than that, um, that was a, you know that was a, it was a great. I thought it was a it was a great time and could have been a great film. And it was one of those things where you know you think I've had a few in the acting side of the career where you're like, okay, this is it. Like this, this is the idea of them was this is going to be like seen by everybody, and you know it's a major comic book superhero movie before they were like blathered all over the place. There was only a few here and there, right. so it was a big deal. And then when it right. it's like, oh, hold on, I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think they did the best that they could, but but you know when you look at the movie The Avengers when you jumped into that next with with uh, Joss Whedon and what have you that could easily have been a dumpster fire fast 
Uh, but it it wasn't. It, it was a great film. You were part of that film. What, what was it like being part of that film right there? Um, I mean, that was it was funny because that was the first one. So so it was kind of one of those things of like not knowing how big it was going to be. It kind of reminds me of Drive as well. It's like oh again, yeah. Yeah, you were part of Drive, and let's let's talk about the, that a little later on because that's one of my favorite movies in the entire world. But please continue. Yeah, yeah. So, so with the Avengers thing, it was I get the call, I come in, I play this part again. Perfect thing for me because you need to be. They need a bad guy. They need they need dialogue. They need the looks. They need somebody that can play that part. But they also need somebody that can actually handle flipping the stunt double and being opposite Scarlet and doing all that all that stuff. And right. So, you know, that's that niche that I got to got to fill a lot, um, and and that was a that was a great great experience. But again, until it was out, and then like it was the Avengers, and then it was suddenly like, oh, that was great, <laughs> you know. But you don't realize it's, it's kind of like it's kind of like another huge thing in my career was four years. I did all the Pirates movies. I did well one through four. I didn't do five, but in that's right. Pirates one through four, when I did Pirates one. It was just a vacation. We were we were having a blast. We were in the Caribbean, Bahamas. We were, you know, what I mean, like we were just, but we had no idea that it was going to be pirates. We just were doing a pirates movie. And then John Depp came out and did his thing, and a bunch of the guys were like, "What the heck is he doing? Like, I'm not sure what this character is. It's just kind of weird. It's whatever." And then we went and saw the movie, and we were like, "Wow, okay." Like, like, like you, you know, give to give credit where credit's due. We, we weren't sure what the whole flamboyantly strange Jack Sparrow character was until like it showed. And then we were like, wow, that's genius. Right. Um, right. And then, and then it's, and then it's pirates and then the rest is history. And then you keep doing it. And then you're like, then you know what you're on. But when you're on the first one like that, you, you just, you have no clue. And the Avengers was basically the same exact thing. Right. You, you went from GED to working at a martial arts school to sleeping on somebody's floor to working on tuxedo with Jackie Chan. Yeah, well, no, that's actually, crazy. Actually, that I mean, for those who know, it depends on. I mean, some some people know this name, some people won't. So I apologize to anybody listening who doesn't get it. But there's a there's a big Asian market out there, a big Hong Kong film market. Jackie Chan and his big brother Sammo Hung. Sammo um, Hung, Yoon Biao. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so I another part of the story that people who get it are impressed, and other people who don't, they won't. But Sammo Hung basically came with a movie called Once Upon a Time in China. No, you know, when we, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but when when we first spoke, we had around 900 people listening. Right now we have 3,900 people listening to us right now. And and it's just growing. So we have a lot of people. Ah. So uh, these people know what you're talking about. All right, perfect. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when we were first talking, uh, you know, I was talking to you in Colorado. Nobody knew what the hell you were talking about. But now everybody knows what you're talking about. So, you know, please tell us, tell us about Summer Hong, Yoon Biao, Jackie Chan, because we just had Noel Vega on. Noel Vega on was very, was very close to uh, Summer Hong. And we had a very long conversation about him and his expertise. So please tell us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so so what happened? I, I was uh, in LA. I was with my, my acting manager. This was in '96, '97, I guess '96. And uh, there was an audition in Texas for Sam Hong, and I knew who Sam Hong was. I knew obviously Jackie Chan. Jet Li is going to play 
the lead in this movie again, Once Upon a Time in China, but this one is Once Upon a Time in China and America. So That's I right. My, my managers. My oh, managers you worked with Garrett Warren? I'm sorry? Did you work with uh, Noel Vega on that one? I did work with Noel, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what? So what happened was, I, I my manager though James Noon and I hopped in a car and drove to Texas, 22 hours. Yeah. Auditioned for the lead, for the lead Caucasian part for Billy the Kid, and then I drove back home. We drove back home. We got back on Sunday. Sunday night, um, I got a call and said, "Can you be on the plane tomorrow and come out to Texas? You're here for three months. You're gonna play the kid." So. I ended wow, up this world is there. this world is small. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So Noel was uh, was an American producer on that. Um, I met he was. him there, but um, but yeah, so I ended up playing Billy the Kid, basically the the American lead. Uh, and and for those that don't know, uh, I'm sure you'll remember Shanghai Noon. Shanghai Noon. Oh, great Jackie film. And Samo, yeah, Jackie and Samo, Jackie Chan and Samo Hong at the time were they're they're they call each other brothers. They're not brothers, but they were grew up in the Hong Kong the people yeah. together. So so he's right, that's right. Big oh so thank you for mentioning the Peking Opera. Yeah, because Peking yeah. Opera was was Samo Hong, Yun Biao, Jackie Chan, and a lot of their friends as yeah. Jackie Chan's uh family went off to Australia to work on the catering business and he was left behind right. to work work in the Peking Opera. But thank you for mentioning that. That's a that's a great piece of knowledge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, those, so those guys grew up as brothers in the Peking Opera, and and at the time that I was doing the movie, they were fighting. Jackie wanted to do the same movie, the same storyline, yeah. the concept of, of of what East comes to West and doing this whole thing. So, th- what happened is that entire movie that we did, basically, my character is the the kid, Owen Wilson's character, and right. Jet Li's character is Jackie Chan's character. That's where they got Shanghai Noon from. So, um, <laughs> That's interesting. Great experience, yeah. Well, you worked on martial law, uh, you know, later on in the future, which is, you know, based on, on, on a lot of those films, you know. And um, uh, w- w- did you work again with uh, with the same group? Actually, yeah. What, I actually getting I ended up getting mentored by Samo Hung. Samo, we we did that movie for three months. I came back here to LA, and then he called me. He was going to do the action directing on a movie in Hong Kong, and he called me out, and I flew out to Hong Kong. This was in '97 during the handover. Well, you worked with Vega. So you worked with Vega on that film as well, right? I don't know if you know I worked on that. It's called Knockoff. Um, he yeah. Might have been on. Okay. Um, yeah. So I was. Basically, the fourth lead in the movie. It was, it was uh, Paul Sorvino, Rob Schneider, Lila Rashawn, oh, Dan Dan, and my great characters, yeah. Um, yeah, so we had fun on that one. I was in Hong Kong for four months during the handover in 97 um, and, and stayed you know, with Samo out there. And we became really tight, good friends. He's basically a mentor of mine. Um, had a great time on the movie. Had a very interesting end to that movie, however. When the movie finished and we came back, it came back in like September, I want to say. And Troy Hark is a famous uh, Hong Kong director out there. He, he yes. called me up about three months after the movie was finished. And he said, Jeff, like, this again was another one where you were like, okay, this one hits big. It's a big Van Damme movie. It's going to do well for right. me. It's going to put, put it out there. People are going to see it finally. Well, I got a call from Troy Hark, and he says, I just want you to know that I didn't cut the movie. And I, huh. I said, well, so what, what does that mean? He says, well, there were some powers that be that I won't mention them here because by God, but there were that thought that the action was, was great, but that, you know, you kind of stood out a little bit and they didn't want to 
kind of be overshadowed or whatever. So the movie is out of my hands. It doesn't make sense anymore, and uh, it just is what it is. And the movie right. that we ended up going to see, basically they cut half of the, the parts and the dialogue that I was in in the movie out, and it makes very little sense if you watch the movie now. It's, I mean, it's, it's okay, but it's like it was so different compared to what, to what we shot. It's one of those right. things where you're like, okay, well, chalk it up or whatever. <laughs> it's still kind of a fun movie to watch, but it's, it's not right. amazing. Um, in any case, what happened after that was we came back. I came back here to L.A. and uh, was living in Burbank at the time, and Samo wanted to direct in Los Angeles. So Samo came out with the idea of uh, getting an agent and getting into directing. He was directing in Hong Kong, but he wanted to make it in, in L.A. and in the States. And um, he came out and he lived with me in Burbank. He stayed at my house. And yeah. In he loves, he loves golf, doesn't he? Yeah, we played golf. We would get up. He would make breakfast at 5 o'clock in the morning. We'd get up and go to yep. the Bell Golf Course and play probably three to four times a week. <laughs> but um, he does love golf and he loves his cigars. But, uh, That's right. We, uh, we, we, he ended up getting martial law while he was here looking to dress. It was just kind of one of those things that, like, I think that, that Carlson Cues and those guys were like, you know, let's get your name out there with the show and let people know who you are just so, like, they know who Jackie is. And then we'll right. see. But I ended up martial law in a couple of seasons. I worked it a few times. Obviously, we remained friends. He's a mentor. He's a great guy. But he decided to go back, you know, because he is a huge fish in a smaller pond in Hong Kong. I mean, he is the man. And he's a man. He just, and, and he's amazing. That guy, I'll get a quick, quick story, a little side story. That guy, we yeah. were training on Once Upon a Time in China in between scenes. And I'm with the, the you know, the whole Yen Yen and the whole crew, the, the stunt doubles, the guys that do these movies you know, yeah. all the time, they were amazing. And we've got a six or eight step ladder and we're jumping off the top of it onto a mini tramp and doing flips. And Samuel at the time has got to be 320, 340. And he comes out of the, the saloon set and sees what we're doing. And he pushes guys aside and goes, no, 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 like this. And he gets up, he climbs 320, 25 pounds. He climbs an eight-step ladder, jumps into a mini trap, and did a front double flip with a kick. And I was like, I, you could not have, like, moved my jaw. I was like, that guy, in, in that size, I've seen him dive into car windows and fit his entire body into car windows. And one of the scenes in martial law, he jumped over my bed holding an IV thing yeah. like, between the ceiling and me to get to kick a guy on the other side of me and didn't even touch me. I'm like... How do you physically get I me mean, again? Peking opera. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've heard very similar stories from Noel Vega. You know, he yeah. he is a, he he is a an amazing, an amazing martial artist. And anybody yeah, who so questions his amazing martial artist, you know, should really question themselves as martial artists themselves. Because <laughs> he he is anybody, an inc- Go ahead. Anybody anybody who questions that can just call and ask me because one time he gave me a spinning <laughs> back kick on martial law and yeah. it should have set me about and, and and it wasn't out of me it wasn't out of, it was just out of like let's get the shot done and make it look right i think it sent me about six or seven feet backwards like it was like, yeah like onto my butt and i was like wow like he's powerful yeah, he's incredibly I mean, powerful pounds. i mean it's insane yeah yeah uh, and very and incredibly skilled yeah, absolutely, absolutely. 
So let's, let's move on to, uh, you know, I, I want to uh, shortly talk about dodgeball just for a second. Did, did, you know, Kevin Porter and I, are, I've been friends for a long time. Did you meet Kevin Porter on, on, on that, on that uh, set right there? I did briefly. Uh, my dodgeball experience wasn't huge or, or, or too long. It was just a couple of yeah. days playing with a proximate thing. But, but that, I mean, that was a blast of a movie just to be able to say you were a part of that movie is iconic, hilarious. Yeah. You work on Zathura as well. You know, Zathura is, is uh, the, what's his name's, uh, you know, big top film before he started doing uh, uh, a lot of the Marvel films, John Favreau. Before he, before he did Iron Man, he did, uh, he did Zathura. Correct. Yeah. Actually, that, that's where I met John Favreau. And uh, it was, uh, that was another kind of mentor. He actually is the one, who um, got me into directing? He got me into the DGA. Uh, really? He, he's a he's a he's a giant. I mean, he's a giant. Yeah, yeah he was my sponsor. Basically, John did that. You, he this, sponsored this you in the DGI, really? Yeah, in the DGA. Yeah, yeah, he was the director's guild. He 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 was the he actually um, directed the pilot episode of Revolution, the TV series that I did for for. Um, you lucky son of a gun. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so he, he directed that pilot episode, and I ended up stepping into directing uh, every episode of that show. And that's how I got into the DGA, was, was him seeing that and, and getting in. Yeah, it was amazing. So what, what is he like? I mean, I mean, when I see him as a kid, I mean, he's some kind of dope. You know what I mean? And And yeah. he's grown into such a worldwide phenomenon a, a a a somebody that's not untouchable but but that is you know an amazing amazing creator of film when you look when you look at uh, the mandalorian it's an incredible film when you look at um uh, taika waititi who's about to make a new film for star wars he would have not had that opportunity if it was not for john favreau no, exactly. I think that John Favreau is, it reminds me of J.J. Uh, Abrams or, or Spielberg or somebody where yes. they basically are being exactly themselves. They are kid-like in their creativity, and what that is is that is reminiscent of somebody who's doing their truth, again, the truth face thing. And in there, they, they don't have any qualms about being – it's not about ego. It's about what what stirs their heart, their passion, and you can see that in – the work that JJ does, you can see that in the work that John Faber does. And I think that that childlike, passionate quality can come off to, to people who are, who are so shut down to it. It can come off actually as guarded or as, as childish or as, you know, whatever. But it's just the reality is that they can do that. Why, why is that? Why, why do you think that is? Uh, I mean, I think that because we are, we are adapted to uh, – Conforming, we're adapted to get do the job, do this, go to college, get the years, get the job, do the house, pay off the house, and squeeze out some time in there if you if you happen to remember to to do something right. that makes you happy. And 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 the people that choose to do the something that makes you happy first, and that could be, by the way, going to college, and that could be getting a specific job. That's not to say that those are the wrong choices, but it is to say that you you should know the choice first. And we don't, as a country, as a community, even we don't we don't push that envelope. We push the the plan. And so when I see somebody who 
it clearly is following who they are. That's the thing about John. He's brilliant. He's super smart. You don't get to where he is right. by mistake. But in his right. career, he is – and it, the other thing, here's a, here's a huge key. I remember yeah. shooting the first day on on, um, on my second unit, and I, I go into John after, and, and it was a great day. I was really happy, but I was also like – I was, I was a little anxious because I was like, how do you get these people to do these things a little faster? Because I have so many shots and things that I want to do, but they're taking an extra 20 minutes to light the scene or they're doing this or whatever. Right. And by the end of the day, your 12, 14-hour day is, is used. And he said – he just said that everybody's job is the most important job in the world. So the reality is that you have to sit back and be able to see that that guy's purpose and that guy's job or what he's doing is to get it totally right and do that. And there is that – that little play back and forth of like, can you, can you cut a little corner here to give me a little bit extra time? But there's also that side of it that you have to know that that guy is in his spot, just like you're in your spot for a reason. So it's like allowing people to be their best and to shine their own light is really the key to your own success. And that's what he, that's what he goes on. Yeah. You know, you have a great amount of experience in, in all these fields working with Joss Whedon, with some of the greatest directors we know today and we watch today on Amazon Prime and Netflix and Disney Plus. What, what, what do you think is the most important thing that you've learned from these great creators? most important thing from those guys? Hmm. That is a tough question. I would say if I had to pull that out, hmm. Take your time. Take your time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a tough one. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, man, I think that, I mean, I think that partially it's, it's Fabro's lesson of letting people do all those things and, and you you doing your own job and being your truth. Okay, you know what? Here's the, the, the biggest one. This is another yeah. Fabro lesson, but I think if I learn this from, from all those things and what I see, there is a time when it's, it's worth it to use your voice. There is a time mm. where you have to. This is, a, this is an example. We were, this is a true story. We were on Revolution. We were doing an exterior battle sequence thing coming up. There were cameras out. I said, and being my outspoken self, we should put a camera down here to shoot this. And John Faber said, no, we'll, we'll put this over here and we'll do this there and blah, blah, blah. And, we'll, and so we take a take and do the action. And uh, cut, cut, everybody you know, comes back to one, it's ready to go again. John Faber says, no, 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 hold on. Jeff was right, move that camera, let's move it back over here and put it down here. And and I had a friend of mine at the time go, I don't think I could do that. And I go, what? He goes, tell John Fowler where to put camera. But right. what that showed me was sometimes it's worth putting it out there and having a voice. And you have to, like, if you're passionate about something and you feel something, you have to get it out there. And that's, again, that goes back to your true face. It goes back to the whole thing I'm talking about is that you, you have to stand up for what you think. Because if you ask too many questions, if there's too many chefs, they get spoiled. If you, there right. has to be somebody, and that is kind of to me a director. Is there? There, you have to be pliable and, and malleable enough to have input and take input from people. But you also have to have a direct vision of what it is that you want to see. And you can't 
you know, you, you can't apologize for it. You just have to right. put it out there and do that. And you know what? If people like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. But that's what you're doing. And that's the same thing in music. It's the same thing in art. It's the same thing. Make a specific choice in what you're doing and what you're putting out there and stand by it. I think that's what right. I learned by, by all these people. What do you think it is about you? Because there is something about you that people want to spend 12, 14, 16, 18 hours a day with you. Would you, would you, what, what is the quality about you that makes people want to do that with you? Uh, I, I pay them. No, uh, no, no I, uh, that's I, not, that's not the truth. <laughs> that's not the truth. We both know that one. Oh boy. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I couldn't tell you other than I think that I find people and their lives interesting. I think people overcoming uh, hardship is, is interesting. Are you, are you, are you, are you kind? Are you, are you directable? Are you, are you easygoing? Are you, are you good with your, 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 your fellow actors? Um, What is it, what is it about you in that area that makes people want to spend time with you? I think, uh, I think, I think the first part is getting the job or getting to those things that you can be on for 12 or 14 hours. And I think getting that takes experience. I, I, a friend of mine, I did a movie with Ray Stevenson called Punisher and Ray said, yeah, uh, you know, somebody was talking about the gray and the beard or something. And, and they were, you know, looking to cover it up in the makeup chair or something. And Ray turned around and said, uh, dear, I, I've, I've lived, you know, 47 years of hell crazy experiences and all the shit that I've gone through and blah, blah, blah. And I've earned every single one of these gray hairs. So let's right. just use the gray hairs. And I think part of that is, is that all of the life experience and the things that maybe I've walked through, those experiences, A, allow you to transform and get into a character or get into a role or, or you know, get, get these jobs, so to speak. And B, they tend to help you learn how to interact with multiple types of people. Uh, because you've been through and lived through so much, you can pick up on who wants to be talked about and who wants to loan and, and who wants to hear from you and who's just being nice. <laughs> so. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> have, you, have you taken you know, anybody underneath your wing, uh, like people have taken you underneath your wing before? Have you, have you mentored anybody yourself? I, I have, like... I have been really blessed the last five years uh, since this last year and a half ago, moving into directing first unit, those five years before doing second unit has has enabled me to hire um, coordinators, riggers, stunt players, stunt doubles um, on a plethora of shows. I mean, a couple of years of revolution, a couple of years of MacGyver, Stalker, Bolden, um, different films. Um, Great shows. Yeah. I've been able to like, not only give people work, but give people starts to work to, to jobs that they may have not had before or chances or opportunities, and that's a lot of fun. Uh, Stalker was a great show. You worked on Terminator Genesis as well, which, which you know, I, I still watch today, you know, but a lot of people would not call it a great film. How was it like working on that film? A Terminator oh, franchise is, is a huge film. Yeah, no, that was that was huge. It was actually in between a couple of things that I was thinking of directing. 
I, I got called from a friend of mine who was doing it, and uh, I, I got to go down for a couple of weeks. And there's a sequence where they ride a door that gets kicked down. The door gets ridden down like three flights of stairs. And so, and it was a it was a, a pretty big. And then there was another action sequence where um, he fights a guy and gets kicked off a uh, into an elevator shaft. Yeah. So we we basically rigged both of those sequences, and we figured out over a couple of weeks how to shoot it safely and get it done. That was uh, that was my addition to the to that project. It was you know short between a couple of weeks of work, but but we uh, it looks great on screen. You did a lot of second unit directing, like in you know MacGyver and Rush Hour and Revolution. You know what, what was what was your end result of that? What, what were you wanting to do? Well, I mean, it's it's the natural progression, or it, it has been. When I started all this, like I said, I wanted to do music, and then I got into acting, and, and being an actor, I wanted to. Um, I wanted to. Uh, it got oh, you never mentioned you never mentioned music. Oh, well, music was a very beginning thing that I played when I was, you know, in bands in the Bay Area when I was 16, 17, 18. I wanted to be the lead singer and the rock star and, and that whole crazy life. And, and, you know, so I'd go to all the Iron Maiden and Motley Crue and all those. Hold on, hold on a, se- hold and, on a second. Don't, don't skip over that. So you wanted to be a lead singer of, of a band back in San Francisco? Yeah, well, I, I was a lead singer of a band back then. Um and uh, and that uh, uh, turned into trying to come to L.A. with the band, but none of them would, would do it. So I kind of split myself and just turned my focus to film and television. But uh, right. for two, three years, I, was, I, was, I grew up, after being emancipated, I grew up in bands and playing in the Stone, the Omni, and those, that area of the Bay Area. Well, and all screw that them. Yeah. Well, I, I had a great time in London. It was my first love. And funny enough, now coming full circle, I'm friends with some of those bands that, that I loved back in the day and would go see as a kid and uh, and get to go, you know, to their shows here and there all over the world. That's been an amazing blessing. You do that with my wife once in a while. We'll head off and go to a maiden show because we're friends with them and they're just amazing people. Um, right. But I'm, I'm, I'm actually um, in the process right now of working on an album, believe it or not. I have. Um, really? Greg, yeah, I've got Greg Bissonette, who's an amazing drummer who played with David Lee Roth and, um, uh, among oh. a million, he's actually he's playing with uh, Ringo Starr and his All Star Band right now. Um, he's Greg. Greg's playing drums, and uh, and actually Matt, his brother, who's Elton John's uh, bass player, is playing bass on a few tracks. So things like that that are just amazing that I get to do today. But uh, I'm putting together my own thing. If you know couldn't do it for for a life and and for a career, um, doesn't mean you can't do it. You know, get out there and do it. You have you have. You have a blessed life, a beautiful wife, beautiful children, a, a, a great life, a great career. And look, look what's happening to you now. You, you have music that's coming your way, which is what you started with. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, yeah, it's all, again, you're absolutely right. It's super blessed. It's, it's amazing to look in hindsight. And a lot of that too, I, I got to go back to that idea that like, it's all choices. You know, those choices of yeah. like, you understand what it is that you like and makes you happy and you focus on doing that. You know, I, I started, when I started doing the music thing, it was because on Revolution, some of the guys bought me a guitar and they put the Revolution logo on it. It was really cool. It was a beautiful electric guitar. And it was on my wall for two years. And then I was like, wait right. a minute, that's a really pretty guitar, but that also plays music. So 
I took it down and I started, you know, going on YouTube and I started um, learning how to play guitar. I never really played before. Uh, right. Singer. So, so that led to doors opening up when you put it out there and you start the ball rolling. It's a, it's a rock at first, but you know, at the bottom of the hill, the snowball is pretty dangerous. So, right. <laughs> you know, Right. So, we're trying to create yeah. <laughs> so what, what, what's the album all about? What, what, what are you trying to musically present us? Um, you know, right now it's called Wolf Hybrid. Um, Wolf Hybrid. I, uh, yeah, because I I feel like it's a hybrid. It's a mix of, again, what are the things that I love? Some of the songs are heavier. Some of the songs, could, you know, lean, blend themselves to almost like a melon camp feel. It just really depends on the vibe. Of oh, Melon camp. Because yeah, and because of what I'm because of what I'm trying to do, which is basically make music for myself and if people get it or if it affects them, just sure. like movies. I wanna I want what I'm doing to affect people so and make them feel. So so it's not for a specific audience. So I'm not trying to write a hard rock album that all the songs sound the same and they're all together in an album that makes sense. This album right. may not make any sense if you listen to it all together, but individually each song says something. That's kind of point. Right. And the beautiful thing is, you know, because I'm not trying to sell these things, is that maybe someday directing a movie, one of these songs that I write might fit in the movie. So guess what I get to do? You know. So. Right. You know, I don't know why why the hell it was so tough to get you on the radio, but you know, you have got a lot of things going on. You're an amazing human being. You've accomplished a great deal of things. And you're an inspiration for a, a great deal of people that are listening to you right now. Oh, it's amazing to think that that's true. Thank you. So let me tell you something. You, what are you looking forward to in the future right now? You know, you, you got, you, I don't care about what, what's happening in the world right now, but there's a lot of things going on uh, as part as how people want you, what, 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 what things are being done, and what you need to discover. What are you planning on next? Uh, the thing I've been working on in the last year is my own um, films, basically directing. So I'm I am working with a few producers, uh, one pretty heavyweight producer. Who's can I stop? Can I stop you for a second? Yeah. So so you, so you use this time to start working on your own things, your own projects, your own focus. Yes. Amazing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Tell us I everything. Tell us everything. <laughs> I, I, I basically, uh, you know, about a year ago when I got out of MacGyver, came back here a year and a half ago, I decided that I wanted to take the next step into directing and just direct my own features. So I have been getting projects together and getting them out to get funded and financed um, for some action projects and some horror movie projects uh, just to kind of get out of the gate strong. And I ended up getting a, uh, in touch um, with and becoming friends with an amazing talent, guy named David Kirshner, who uh, he's the one who created Chucky, um, Child's Play, yeah. and um, Hocus Pocus. And, That's right. Uh, Frailty, yeah, all kinds of, he's amazing. So he's amazing. He's kind of, yeah, so he, he, he brought me a, um, a horror script. So we've been working on that, and, uh, and we've got a few in the pipeline. And that is now get out to get financed, and uh, we're hoping when this dies down enough here, it'll be ready to, to get up and running and go out and shoot my first feature uh, as a, as a first unit director. So nice. that's what's on the plate. Yeah. 
Nice. So you're you're working on being a a, fir, a first unit director, a, a director in its spot. I mean, yeah. My my goal is is you know uh, the next John Favreau. You know, I mean, he can put himself in whatever he wants to when he wants to. He can produce content. He directs amazing movies, and uh, and he has enjoys you know every step of the way. So why not? There can be more than one. No, that's not, that's not a bad marker to make. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so what happened between the acting and the directing that made you switch over to wanting to be more of the fundamentals, fundamental perspective of well, filmmaking? In, yeah, in uh, in seeing the fundamentals for twenty years, uh, in in doing stunts and acting, being in front of the camera for so long, and then getting that coordinated right into second unit directing break with revolution. I got to see both sides of the camera and having that kind of uh, answer basically to know it all or to, 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 to have an idea for everything and, you know, to, to have an answer, that's the director's job. And when you have that, it's like, it's like oozing out of you. You realize this is what I'm supposed to be doing, but that in, and having a second unit, most if people don't know, second unit is, is the same as, as a first unit director. Usually they don't do the dialogue, but it's, a lot of it is the action. So they might do a, a dialogue scene and the first unit director will leave with half the crew and the second unit director will stay behind and have his own crew and he'll shoot or she will shoot all the action and finish the scene or do their own sequence. So um, that is, is what I would end up um, putting together. Uh, right. You know, and that and that's uh, and that came basically it was like the bug biting. It's like, okay, I want to I want to do this because then you start getting scenes, then you start getting dialogue scenes. You're working with the lead actors, and you you know you think, okay, I can make this better. And then you watch the director's direction things, and you go, okay, that's one way to do it. I would do it this way. So right. you know, you want your vision or your thing to be seen. You know, you you get it out there and 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 uh, do it. So that's that's kind of the bug that bit me. You know, you you can't tell me there is nothing you're writing right now at home, waiting for it to see the light of day. What is that project? Yeah, actually, I am writing one right now. <laughs> that is a really interesting <laughs> one. Uh, you know, it's one that I had an idea myself, and a friend of mine got it to an amazing writer. He wrote eighty percent of it, and then we tried to get it tweaked by a couple of writers that didn't get it. And they yeah. came back to me at the beginning of this quarantine or about a week into it. I was like, you know what? I keep asking other people to write this the way that I want to direct it. I should it. do it myself. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. it. Yeah. So I sat down and kind of knuckled down and in between my house cleaning hat and my school teacher hat, I've been, <laughs> uh, I've been writing. If there, you know, there's a lot of kids in the house. You, you have your beautiful wife there. Yeah, I understand your, your quandary there. So how is the workload going with, with that story? Uh, it's actually going really well. I'm, uh, it, it's interesting as you go further down the rabbit hole, you fix things early on and they, they work really well. And then you, uh, as you find writing, when you get to 60 or 70 pages and you know you've got 20 or 30 to go, the world starts crashing down because you've changed right. a few things in the beginning and now you have to change a lot more at the end. So there's a mountain to climb, but it's, um, it's at least the, the 70 pages that I've gotten through now are something that I'd want to for sure shoot. So we're getting there. Right. You know, if, if there's something you can share to, to young artists that are coming today 
that are listening to you right now, because there's a, there's a lot of people listening to us, right? There's 4,000 people listening to us right now. You know, if there's something you can say to one of the people that are listening today, what would you say to them on how to become, not like you, but to, to follow that kind of same venture that, you know, you know, GED, being independent, I mean, really fighting. I mean, sincerely fighting for your own life, fighting for your own identity, fighting for the ability to become singular, be being part of a group and not feel, feeling inferior, which I'm pretty sure you did, by the way. Am I wrong? No, no, not at all. You you have to go through that. You have to grow and go through those things to to find you, your you space went through find you went through place. you went through all these stages uh, of like inferiority and, and feeling less than and fighting fighting your family in order to be independent and I mean that shows greatness. It shows expansion. It shows a, a, a really a great man. What can you share? to the younger generation on how they, how they can grow and become closer to what you are today. Well, I think, I think the key is to, is in, is, you know, being nothing like me. I think that the key in it is, and what I mean by that is that if somebody looked in the mirror and said their name out loud, don't be the next Jeff Wolf, like be the next, whatever that name is, which, which means discovering who that is, which means, Find out who they themselves, what makes them tick. Find out what makes them happy, where their passion lies, and go after that with a vengeance. Because, because, because the next, you know, Ryan Reynolds, Tom Cruise, Hugh Jack, whatever you know, celebrity is that they that they're you know putting out there in, in, the, in the spotlight to emulate ends up with a bunch of people that once in a while, those people, somebody will make it on TV that looks kind of sort of like them, but most right. people do nothing with their lives because they're emulating something that's already been done. It's the people that stand out that actually um, have something to say or have something, you know, to bring. And it's really not about finding out something to bring to the table just for the sake of having something different, but it's really just about being who they are. They, I, I, I would get that person, that person that stands out, that's interesting, that that, that, that is attractive. I mean, speak, people being who they are is what's attractive. And, and it's, a, it's right. attractive um, in their passion. When you see them on screen, it's attractive, you know, throughout. So I think that's the, I think the key. I mean, it's a long version of, of saying be yourself, but it's more than being yourself. It's right. find out who yourself is. And then, and then be that. Without trying to be facetious and joking like, what do you think seriously it is that people want to spend these amount of hours with you? Seriously speaking. I mean, you mean, you, you mean, these men have hours being on set. I mean, if you were a jerk, nobody would want to spend 12, 14, 16, 18 hours a day with you. I mean, nobody. They would kick you out so fast. You would not have a career. Nobody would know who you are, and I would not be talking to you today. 
You know, there's a I, reason. I there's a reason why people want to spend 12, 14, 16, 18 hours a day with you, and I want to hear why that is. Well, I mean, I think it's the. I mean, if you've got four thousand people listening to this as well, it's because you're doing what you're good at and what you love, and I think that you bring that heart and that soul to what it is that you're talking about, and then guess yeah. what? People are attracted to that and they want to see that. So it goes back to that being yourself. I think that if you've been through enough. And those things are, you know, like, like there's a there's ways of being. Like I could wear my heart on my sleeve and walk around all day and say, oh, my life was screwed and it was so miserable and it was, you know, what it was and blah blah blah. Or I could say like, okay, this all of those things happen and I found out what it is that I wanted to do and I'm doing them and I'm happy about that. So I'm going to bring that person to the table. And so right. that person is who you get when you're around me for eight or ten or twelve or fourteen hours because if I'm doing it, I probably like being there. That you know, I mean, right. that's kind of the, the key to it. So, so there is, uh, and if I'm around multiple people that like being there, we're going to have a good time. <laughs> well, you do you think likability and directability has something to do with, with some of your your um, your uh, objectives, some some of your um, prize? Sure. I mean, I think that you have to, I mean, the directability also is in, in your own understanding of like, I want to do the best that I can do. So anybody right. who shows up, there's a, there's a, there, that's a huge key. I think in life is that people, there's a lot of people that already think they know it. There's an old adage of a, of a, or a really well-known or well-respected doctor going to a dinner with his wife and they all sit down at the table and, and the, the dinner meeting or whatever. And at the end of the, the dinner, the wife berates the husband privately on the way home saying like, I don't understand right. all those people were talking and, and you didn't say much and you could have like blown them out of the water and told them about like, all that you know. And, and he said, <laughs> I know, I, I already know what I know. What I did right. was, you know. So like there's that part too. There's like, you can, right. you can have a, I can have a million stories to tell you, but there are also things that I like to hear about or that I could grow too. And if I have that kind of idea that I can grow by spending time with you or with somebody on set, going to pick up on that as well. So I'm not going That's to That's wonderful. That. <laughs> well, you know, I was speaking to Garrett Garrett Warren recently, and, and I asked him the same question I'm going to ask you. How, how much does, uh, you know, when you're a stunt choreographer or stunt major, how much does the safety of your unit have to do with your job? Uh, the safety of, I'm sorry, the safety of the, the unit? Of the people yeah, you know, safety of your people. Like, like, how do you do, how do you take care of the safety of your people when you're a stunt choreographer? I mean, you, you, oh, yeah, you I mean, are in charge of their, of, of those people's lives. That is the, that is the majority of your job. The, the, the requirement of that job as a stunt coordinator is to, create action that will be exciting, that will add to the scripts and, and make sense uh, along the storyline while keeping the cast and crew safe um, and you know, make it as spectacular as you can. So you have to be able to uh, figure it all out, make up what fits the story, get the right people that are talented enough to pull off what you're asking them. And then you need to look at every possible outcome and figure out if you can mitigate any danger that could uh, that could happen or that could, could rise. That's the job. Right. Do you put that ab- ab- above your own ego? I mean, I think the people that don't are the people that get people hurt, and that's what we've seen a lot in the business. I think a lot of times 
people will push the on, envelope for their own agenda or for others' agendas um, to get things done, and and sometimes they get away with it. Uh, and when they get away with it, people don't get hurt, thank God. But uh, you know, the action is huge and big. But there are other things that can be fixed or helped or replaced or or you know whatever. Um, right. When things don't need to happen, um, and that's and sadly sometimes that leads an injury. You know, you've been kind, you've been honest, you've been uh, forthright, you've been a, uh, a great guest for us today. How, you know, and I promised you an hour, so it's, it's been an hour now. How can people get in touch with you? How can people see your resume? How can people see the, the Jeff Wolf that I know? I appreciate it. I, and it's been a pleasure again talking to you. It's been, been, been fun. Um, thank you for, for giving me the hour. Uh, they, they, Instagram is always fun for the stories and the pictures that we put up there. Uh, that's at J Wolf uh, director, J Wolf, W O L F E director. And then, um, you know, I'm on Facebook. There's a few friend spots left on there. Well, uh, <laughs> they, they have a, I guess they have a limit on Facebook. So I don't know. How that's they there. do. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, IMDb, uh, IMDb or IMDb Pro uh, has the list of all the things. Uh, the, the the one on the top right now is Mortar, which is the the big uh, the big horror one that we're working on. It's the German word for murder, and it's yeah. the, uh, the the one I'm working on with, uh, with Mr. Kirstner at the moment as we speak. So, but thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. You know, Jeff Wolf. You know, uh, I I love your work. I love you as a person. I I watch you constantly. I love your wife. I love your family. I love watching them grow. I love watching how you care about your family. It shows a lot about a person, by the way, about how much they care about their family. So you are, you are aces, my friend. And uh, thank you very much, man. You know, I I hope to God I I can, I can call you a friend because, uh, because uh, I consider you one. You're, you're yeah, a great man. Each other long enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. And you're... thank you to everybody out there uh, listening. I appreciate uh, that people are interested. In, and I, I just um quick shout out for everybody who's in whatever position they're going through right now in this crazy time. If we brought a little bit of an outside understanding of, you know, this life or took you out of it for a few minutes or an hour, then uh, blessed to be able to do that. And I just pray for everybody's health and safety out there and take care through this and be strong. Fantastic, brother. You gave us everything we needed. We're going to give you a clap track out. God bless you for uh, reaching out to us, giving us uh, the amount of time you gave us. And please take care of your family. Uh, we only wish the best for you. Thank you much, my friend. Take care, everybody. Here you go, my friend. Here's your clap track. <laughs> Goodbye, my friend. Bye. Have a great weekend. Thank you, man. Talk to you soon. Happy Mother's Day to your wife. Absolutely. Thank you. And that is a great man. We, we've wanted him on this show for such a long time. Uh, we had him eight years ago, and uh, he's a great friend of mine. You know, I, I know I make that remark of, like, I hope we can call each other friends. But, you know, it's just it's something I say. You know, he's a, he's a great person. A uh, great creator, a great actor, a great director, a great second unit director. Uh, one day, he's going to be the new John Favreau. I can't wait to see that happen.
You know, when somebody has that thirst, that desire to be something great, that in itself is great. He's kind, he's generous, he's everything you want in a director, an actor, a producer, a writer. He's everything you want. What an amazing human being. When, and when I see him, and I spoke about this in our show, when I see him with his wife and his children having fun and enjoying themselves in quarantine, it is lovely. It is fascinating to watch. It is awe-inspiring. They're kind. They're generous. They have a sense of levity. They inspire us all. Jeff Wolf, thank you so much for being on our show today. You are a great inspiration to a lot of us on what we seek, what we want to be. we thought we were what we lost and what we want to find again I greatly appreciate you being on our show today I thank you for teaching our audience the little and the great things about being a filmmaker stunt choreographer second unit director actor writer, everything. And he was very honest, wasn't he? He was very honest with us. Thank you so much. Jeff Wolf. I had him on eight years ago. And he's still a great, great guest. And to all of you listening in right now, I love you all. This is a moment, a time of reflection. Take this time, write that book, read that book, write that movie, watch that movie, or just become a better person, man. Seriously. Start becoming that better person. Start adjusting. It's time, guys. What's going to happen next? When the world opens up, who are we going to be when the gates open up? Worse or better people? I ask you that question. I tell you what's going to happen. We're going to be better people. Because I believe in you. I believe in all of you. We're going to be better people. Trust in God or whatever you believe in. Trust in yourself. Trust in your heart. Trust in people. 
Be kind. Forgive yourself. Forgive other people. This is not a time to hold back. This is a time to go full heads on. I love you all, and I appreciate this platform. My name is Steve Pisa, and this has been Cinephiles Radio. God bless you all, and please be well.